though, right? Correct. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Scouser podcast. I am your host, Timuchin, as always, from Chicago. And with me today, I have another fellow Chicago American Scouser contributor. Mateusz is with us. Mateusz, what's going on, man? Not much. Um, happy to be back on here with you guys. Fresh off of a trip in Mexico filled with hurricanes, but he made it back in one piece. Also in one piece, kind of, sort of, is Paul Bickler joining us as always. Paul, what's happened? Well, listen, while some of us were like unpacking from sunning themselves on the Mexican Riviera, others of us were picking up nails and tires and spending $500 on tires today. So, ouch. How did you, how did that happen for you? How did you get the nails? I just picked up a nail and it was in a spot where they couldn't repair it. So $500 later. Yep. That's unfortunately how it works. Maybe if you win the trivia, we can get you five cents or something <laughs> like that. So let's start with this week's trivia. This week's trivia is going to be, and we're going to be talking about him next about Shakiri. Uh, obviously it's official now that he's headed over to France. Uh, we got a lot more than we, I think less than originally what we wanted, but definitely a lot more than they were offering. But this is this week's trivia for Liverpool. How many appearances has Shakiri made and how many goals has he scored? Across all competitions? Uh, across all competitions, yes. All uh, total appearances. So as always, we throw Bickler under the bus first. Bickler, your guess. There we go. God, total. So this is including substitutions. Uh, total appearances. I'll go 64. Seems high to me, though. I don't know. How many goals? Oh, um, fuck. I should, I should know this. Um, I'll go. I'll go 11. Not too bad, Matush. What do you have? It's at 64. I feel like that's a lot. I feel like I only saw him maybe all of four times. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with 50. And 11 goals seems high, too. I'm going to, I think it's less than, I don't think it's double digits. I'm going to go with nine goals. Not too bad, not too bad. So we're going to do something different this week and kind of like uh, I'm going to reveal the answer right away so we can kind of like talk a little bit about it. Uh, so he had a total of 45 appearances for Liverpool and seven goals, which I found, especially the latter, shocking because I almost remember every single one somehow. I mean, I know we watched Liverpool to death, but still like I was amazed that I could almost picture every single one. Uh, but let me ask you guys, I mean, now that he's gone, I honestly didn't even think, I mean, it's been a while, I guess, with COVID and stuff, uh, we don't realize, but he was here since 2018. Uh, most memorable Shaq moments, apart from suddenly showing up with hair. Matosh, what is your favorite? Oh, man. I feel like... I feel like I, I, I'll go against the grain a little bit. Um, I, I imagine many people would think back to the Man United bicycle or the the cross into Genie's headie against, headie, header against Barcelona. Um, I think for me, last year, two moments, both against West Ham, um, that was, there was that cross to Mo um, that was played on the first time from Trent's cross to him after the corner kick, that, um, that counterattack. And then the assist to, to Jota um, in, in the other leg against West Ham, um, where he kind of just – it felt like he floated the ball against on the ground between between defenders' legs, and he just kind of just sat there and floated it past four or five defenders right into Jota's lap, um, and he was able to finish that. So I think I really remember those two. Um, a little bit non-LFC-related, I'll always remember his bicycle kick against Poland that tied it up in the 82nd minute in the Euro back – um, several years ago because it stung a lot. That was before he was on Liverpool, so it was it was okay. Um, but yeah, those I think those two stand out to me apart from the the typical ones that you think about. Yeah, that one sounded like a painful moment. So we'll give you a couple of minutes to recover from that memory <laughs> with the bicycle kick. Paul, your favorite Shaq moments? 
<clears throat> I think, I mean, definitely the one that sticks out to me is the substitute, the substitution where he came in and scored twice versus United to put us back on the top of the table in December of 2018. Um, and <clears throat> ironically, probably the most optimistic that we've been about him, right? Because he came in and scored two incredible goals. And we thought, man, this is going to be a game changer off the bench. And it just didn't work out that way. But that to me is the most memorable uh, for me. Those are the, that's the moment. That's sort of the pinnacle of him uh that's what sticks out to me yeah same for me just because i despise united the most i think so that was one thing i celebrated the most out of this aside from like you know uh the two that mateus mentioned that probably everybody will remember but in terms of like game performances that's yeah like off the bat turn the game around uh like finish off two shots one off of deflection actually maybe both off deflections right uh or like one of them was slight deflection but yeah that's probably so you mentioned something in terms of you know like that's what we kind of hoped he would be uh paul how would you evaluate his time with liverpool not that he was a big investment but probably never lived up to the expectation in terms of what we hoped he would be. I mean, was he just not the right fit? Uh, is it kind of like similar to uh, some of the other players we had who couldn't stay healthy or what do you make off of his Liverpool career? I mean, I think it's a number of things. We talked a little bit about how we placed emphasis on acquiring players with position versatility and then struggled to find their role in the team. And I think Shaq sort of like epitomizes that conundrum that we found ourselves in with a number of, players, whether it's Taki Minamino, whether it's Ox, you know, we've, we've had a number of players that we've sort of had that issue with. Um, I think he sort of epitomizes that. I think the problem with him is that we always, I think he plays better centrally, but we don't play with the free room 10. And I think that's the role he wants to be in. So we stacked him on the right side because he's got a wand of a left foot. The problem is he's arguably the worst defender of the team. Um, and so you put, somebody that can't do a lot of the things required defensively stacked on top of Trent. And now all of a sudden Trent can't get forward in the way that he's used to getting forward without greatly compromising the back line. Um, and that's kind of, I think where we sort of ran into an issue with him. I think he was the best when we had formation changes and we subbed him in into a different formation. Uh, but those opportunities were sort of few and far between. And I think as the club and the team evolved, it sort of just worked his way out of that that situation. He just kind of was on the outside looking in as the team evolved. Yeah, that's probably the I mean the perfect explanation. Really, it was just not the right fit. Anything to add, Matush? I thought like he summarized it really well. Yeah, no, in form today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's perfect. There's nothing really else to add. I mean, of course, he had some injuries, some issues that he had to work through. Um, but otherwise, everything that Paul said was just right on, right on the nail. So, I mean, we kind of like talk about this uh, regularly and hopefully after next week's podcast, we're not going to talk about it because the 31st will have come and gone. Uh, but do you feel, Mateusz, that with this business taken care of and a few more uh, being talked about, does that open the door for somebody coming in? Or he was just like basically excess based on, especially like Harvey's performances in the preseason and beginning of the season? I think logistically it leaves the door open um do i realistically see someone coming in this window i don't think so i think it'll leave the door open for someone to come in more so january i believe at this point than someone to come in at the end of the transfer window here um and i i know we'll talk more about burnley and everything moving on so i don't want to get too ahead of myself um as far as just talking about the team as a whole but so right now i'll just leave it at that I think it does open the window for someone to come in because of the numbers, but I don't think it will actually happen. How about you, Bickler? What's the gut feeling going there? Uh, my gut feeling is we won't um, bring anybody else in. And I think that's actually a combination of factors. Um, I mean, when you look at it, everybody's still talking genie replacement. But the fact is, is that we have eight midfielders right now. And I think all of them are pretty quality and can contribute in different ways. I don't consider any of them the ones that we necessarily need to look to move right now. 
I mean, I guess you could make the argument for some more depth up top, but we've still got Taki and Origi hanging out. And we've got to figure out what, you know, if Taki can cut it or not. And he had a very promising preseason. So um, I don't think we will. And I think it's interesting because we look at the players that supporters want, right? And a lot of these players are extremely talented young players, which are considered like wonder kids or the next wave of kids coming up, right? Kamavinga, which broke this this week being available for Renz is a really good example of like sort of something that players are, you know, us supporters are grasping onto as an exciting player. He's like 18 years old. He could be the future. Right. And I really think as a testament to the club, what supporters haven't realized yet is that this team has progressed past buying those players because those players need playing time at that age. They need for development and I think if you look at our club, we've already got those kids. We've got Curtis Jones. We've got Harvey Elliott. We've got, you know, we've got like, we're, we're figuring out Nico Williams. So we've got this next wave. And if we acquire those players, they're not good enough to get into the starting 11 regularly. Uh, they were six years ago, like they, under the Brendan Rogers era, we could probably justify putting in some of these young kids and bringing and grooming them in and, and, and growing these players in that side because the reality of it was we were a mid-table side then. Um, but this is one of the best starting 11s in the world, and we progressed past that. So I think a lot of these players that we look to bring in as supporters are just not realistic when you look at the quality that we have um, in the way that we sort of uh, develop players in the system. I agree. I think it kind of goes back to the getting a shiny new toy syndrome. I mean, we have these kids uh, that we played during the preseason. We've seen a lot of them. Uh, we have Harvey and Jones in the lineup now. But apart from that, you know, there was like a bunch of kids that we took to the training camps and stuff like that. But people are not as excited or impressed if those guys play as opposed to a guy we paid 35 million for and then let him play, which is probably about the same thing in terms of, you know, the stage they are in their career. Um, I did see that those rumors and I don't, I just don't know, like you're saying, this is a crowded midfield. Even if we would like it, I don't know why he would want to come over here because he knows he's not going to get into playing time. He can't be too excited about playing in the league cup or whatever it's called this year. And I think as supporters, we should be happy we're past that, right? I mean, everybody gets excited about that $35 million young kid until you realize it's Markovich, right? I mean, I mean, I think we – like this starting starting 11 is, is past that, and I think, you know, that's a good thing for us. Uh, not to say that you're not always looking for the next wave of talent, right? But, like, the fact that we can't offer those guys the minutes they need isn't necessarily a bad thing. So let's come to this weekend's game. Uh, we talked a bit about it in our post-match with, uh, we had Rich Kramer on this week, uh, all the way from New Orleans, and we had Galley live in New Orleans at Rich's uh, pub. Uh, talked to a couple of guys there. So we talked some about the game, but I kind of want to get your guys' take on it, and it will kind of lead us into more of the squad talk, I think. But uh, Mitush, let's start with you. I mean, what did you make or... What was the most impressive thing to you, I guess, with the win over Sean Dish? I think, oh, sorry. I think um, the most impressive, um, as far as the individual aspect, I feel like Costas was one of the most impressive takeaways from the game. Um, I think Elliot played a hell of a game too. Um, it's just unfortunate to not have that assist to Mo um, when, when it was called back. I think... Here's, here's my thing, and I was kind of alluding to this earlier. While I agree with Paul in the sense that we have a really great starting 11 and that we're past the point of buying young guys to groom, I feel like we, we're a buying club now, right? That's what you're saying. And that's what we've been told last last summer, two summers ago, I think that we're a buying club. Um, and I feel like we've had we have so many people now talking about these last two weeks and, and going, oh, look, we don't need anyone. We're doing fine. I mean, it's Norwich and Burnley. We're supposed to do fine. They're supposed to beat both of those teams. And yeah, you can get away with playing a midfield, um, you know, of, of Hendo, Keita, and, and Elliott against Burnley. But who knows if you can get away with it playing playing that way against Chelsea or City or United. You know, I think while we have a lot of depth at midfield, depth doesn't always equate to the right 
person. So like when you talk about that gene replacement, I think I've been one of the most vocal on our discord about finding that replacement. Um, and I'd, I'd love to get proven wrong. It's totally fine. But I think there should still be an emphasis on trying to find one player to be able to take over that role rather than having a bunch of different guys that can kind of do it kind of well and it rotates from week to week. Um, and I think so people celebrating these last two weeks saying, you know, look, we don't need anyone. Maybe, but at the same time, it's Norwich and Burnley. You know, it's just that's how I'm looking at it, at least. Okay, yeah, that's an interesting thing. I mean, I don't necessarily agree to the full content, but we'll kind of get back to that. Let me get, let's get Paul's perspective. Paul, how about you? What is the most impressive thing to you? Or do you? Well, I want to, I just want to touch on Matisha's point a little bit. I I think it's fair to say, like, let's not get overly excited. This is Norwich and Burnley, right? I mean, these are teams we should throttle. Um, To the Genie point, I, I will say, you know, I think it's interesting he brings that up. Because I kept catching myself throughout that game thinking, Nabby is doing a pretty good impression of Genie. Like, he was doing a lot of, like, the tight ball control, like, possession, recycling possession through. Um, he was doing a lot of those little things that Genie did. Um, and, you know, the fact is, is he's still a $50 million investment that we've got to figure out. So, I mean, you know, a lot of people say, well, Genie replacement, that's why we bought Thiago. So, I mean, I think, I think there are pieces there that we've got to figure out. Um, you know, I'm not against bringing in more depth. I mean, I've been, like, banging on the table for Yuri Telemans. He scored today, just saying. Um, so, like, I mean, I, I, I'm not against bringing people in. Um, as far as the Burnley match, uh, I had a couple of things that really stood out to me. Um, one was regarding just overall Premier League play. Man, they're letting those boys play this year. And, like, that's cool to see to some extent. I worry about teams like Burnley just getting people hurt straight up. I mean, Burnley's a tough team anyway. But, I mean, if you let a team play like Burnley, that thing can get out of hand pretty easily. And so um, I know that this is sort of the EPL's, like, succinct reaction to last year where they felt like there was too much stoppage in play and we're going to let them play, but there's got to be, I think the pendulum has swung too far in the other direction. We got to find that, that middle range just for safety of the players. Um, and then my second sort of takeaway from the game has to do with the play itself. Um, and it seems weird to talk about Trent because he's, you know, consistently talked about as one of the best right backs in the world. But to me, he is out this season to quietly prove a point. Like he looks like a dude who like he's confident but he's got the swagger to him and he's, he's like, you know, he's going to put it to Southgate this year about that decision and not, not bring him in until the last minute and, you know, question whether he's, he's the best or not. Like he looks like a player who's got a point to prove. And I think if he can stay fit and in this type of form, he created eight key chances last, last uh, week in the game. And that's, that's a huge number. If he, if he continues to do that this year, uh, we are, I think we will win the title. I mean, I know that's a bold statement, but it's just he's so dynamic and he's so good. Um, that was kind of my key takeaway from from the match in general. Man, you guys, okay, a few things to get to. Um, in terms of that play, I mean, I, it's well known. I've said over and over that I kind of can't stand Sean Douche and his freaking Burnley and how they play anti-football. And I agree, that's kind of like, you know, the new setup kind of appeals to those teams and almost encourages them to, you know, just go out, let's go out there and beat somebody up as opposed to, you know, like just play around them. Uh, But I feel, I I think you're right. It has swung all the way to the other side, but I feel as the weeks go, that's going to come back, which, you know, is semi-annoying because, yeah, it's going to self-adjust and I don't know what it's going to take to get to that point or how many... Uh, you know, like after how many goals are going to be scored off of a call that was probably missed that should have been called and stuff like that. But, and I understand what you guys are saying. I know what Matisse is saying in terms of it was only Nor- Norwich and Burnley. I think the, the thing I liked about it is I wanted to make sure, I mean, it's going to be a tight race to the title. Uh, you can already kind of tell. Uh, I know City lost points the first week and stuff, but uh, I think Chelsea's a lot better. I know about the Spurs yet, to be honest with you. But especially with 
you know, your center backs come back from injuries, uh, Hando kind of coming back. I was kind of like worried that we would have a couple of mishaps in the early weeks of the season while these guys get back into the speed of things. You know, even Van Dyke was talking about it after the game about, you know, how it takes time to get to the speed of the game and just the camp and the preseason. It's just not the same thing. And I was glad to see that back line a lot more solid then obviously we're kind of like used to last year and not any hiccups, uh, getting the points we need, getting the clean sheets we need uh, to kind of like progress forward. I think that's probably the most pleasing thing to me is we're buying these guys time to get back to their best while not losing any points or losing any ground. In fact, you know, like gaining ground on some of the teams and stuff. So that's probably like my biggest takeaway from the game. I think that was like the, the best thing to see in terms of like the genie thing. I, and that's what I want to kind of talk to you guys about is. So let me ask you that Matush in terms of like genies play, like what, if we bring somebody in and I'm not going to be one of those guys that says, well, name somebody, you know, but in terms of like, you know, what aspect or what quality do you want out of the new signing that you do not see out of like the other midfielders that we have now, I guess. It's, I think, and I don't want to be seen as like the pessimist. I think that's Paul's job. No, um, actually, that's my job. But oh. <laughs> you can have it this week. Go ahead, and knock yourself. No, off. I don't. I, I don't <laughs> want to because I don't get me wrong. I I was able to finally watch both matches this these last two weeks. I was more than thrilled. I think you know defense looked a little bit nervy here and there, but overall, very very happy with both matches. Especially the Burnley match went really well. I think my biggest fear is is just the durability because we have seen we have seen our midfield kind of take its toll as far as injuries go and if Keita can stay healthy and if he can play the way he has these last two weeks Burnley I mean not as impressive as he was against Norwich not that he wasn't bad not that he was bad at all Uh, but if he's able to keep that consistently like hell that's that's great you know that's pretty much all you need but it's just it worries me that we're relying on these guys who have consistently not been able to play more than a quarter more than a half of the season. Whereas, you know, with Genie, we saw what we got with Genie. We got some guy that was there every single week. And yeah, some of the times it's just dumb luck. You know, they don't take a tackle here and there, you know, they twist their ankle the wrong way and it happens. Um, so there's not like one specific aspect of the game that I think that can't be done by guys that we have. It's just the more of a durability issue that I'm looking at it from. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I'm not only the pessimist, but I think last season has brought the entire fandom closer to my side because I feel like we're all a little paranoid about what can happen after what happened last year. Uh, So, I mean, from... I mean, just think about it in terms of like center backs. People are still like, well, we shouldn't sell them. You never know. Whereas in a regular season, I think four, maybe five, we'd be more than happy with. Now we're like, we need at least eight or something. You know, like overreaction of what happened last year. And I think it's the same thing with midfield. So I know, Paul, you mentioned it earlier. Let me ask you this. Because we in the beginning, when we were talking about Shakiri, I mentioned that he was not a big investment. And you made a point of, you know, Keita being a $50 million investment that we got to figure out. In all honesty, based on performances done so far and the injured record and stuff, if the price tags were the same, do you think Keita would have been sold by now as well? Oh, man. You're asking me to go inside the mind of people at the club, and I just didn't like everybody knows I'm not that smart. So uh, that's a difficult call for me. Um, my gut feeling is that we would still hold on to him. And the reason I say that is that Klopp tends to be very cautious and, and, and very patient uh, in general. He, you know, like if this was Chelsea, he probably wouldn't have lasted eight months. Like, I just think that, like, I think that. That that transfer, I mean, he he was the Bundesliga player for player of the year coming into coming into here. Uh, I just think we looked at him for so long uh, and liked what we saw so much when we ran both the numbers and and you know and, and looked at watched him play. I, I think that we would have given him time personally um, to sort it, uh, regardless of whether we would have gotten the full transfer feedback or not. I I just don't we're the type of club that likes to sort that thing out and wait for it. I, I like my, my feeling is the club would almost 
watch a player's value drop and know we missed on that player, then sell him for full value and, and not be sure whether he would have made it or not. That's my feeling. Yeah, that's fair. I think it's just the fact that obviously his potential age-wise and everything play-wise is higher too. So there's something to hold on to. Whereas, you know, Shaq is obviously towards the end of his career over here. But And probably in terms of fits, like we discussed earlier too, I think Keita is a better fit for the system. So let me ask you guys this, Matush. We'll start with you. I know we have the Chelsea game coming up, but I'm just saying in general, not necessarily maybe against Chelsea. Out of the performances you have seen, obviously we didn't have Fab this week due to his you know, father passing away. Uh, who is in your midfield, having seen the performances out of Harvey and Keita, who both played well? Uh, I know Keita got a lot of mixed reviews, but if you really look at the numbers... I mean, I know, like, I think it was like halftime. Freaking Tim Howard was like, oh, connect the passes. Well, I mean, if you you have one guy in midfield that's trying to get those through balls and not every through ball is going to make it. So it's natural for those passes to be occasionally intercepted. This is not freaking FIFA, but that's Tim Howard for you. So uh, does your midfield three, your ideal midfield three change in any way, having seen the performances so far? And who is your ideal three? Because we didn't have you for a few weeks now on the podcast. Yeah, I feel like I'm trying to think back to what I said two weeks ago after the Nor or before, after the Norch game, I believe. Oh, well, um, stuff is recorded, buddy. So it better be. Yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm going to say it's probably probably changed. I think I think the easiest decision out of any of those spots is Fabinho because he he's necessary in how he's able to track back and how he's able to cover um, and how he's able to to play out from the back. I think I would say Keita and Hendo just because of that, of what Hendo provides on the pitch in terms of who he is and how he leads and how he, and, and what kind of a player he is not so much as for skill. Um, I think, and it depends on on who the opponent is. I think doing something like Keita Fabinho and and Elliot could be could be exciting. Um, and I could just completely thought forgot about Tiago as I'm saying everything. So I, I guess I guess Keita or Tiago and then Fabinho Hendo. I still right now. I I've loved what I've seen out of Harvey, um, and I think he he definitely will have a place on this team. But I think he's able to be kind of rotated in and out right now. So I, I'd say Keita, Tiago, 1A, one 1B, one and then Fabinho and Hendo. How about you, Paul? Having seen your ratings this week for the game, I feel like there's a slight shift in your ideal midfield, or is it too early? Who is your ideal three right now? Um, I mean, obviously, I realize it might change against the opponents, uh, but in terms of, you know, the best combination, I guess, in terms of like complementing each other, who do you have as your midfield three? Well, right now, like, so let's like assume, like not talking about Fabinho's leave of absence for his father's death, it would be Fabinho in the hole, Henderson on the right, and Tiago on the left. For talking about complete season, right? Right now, until Thiago is 100%, it's Navi Henderson. That's Navi Fabinho Henderson for me right now. Um, I think Thiago probably provides more <clears throat> quality overall and more consistency than Navi when he's at 100. He's definitely got more experience. So I would give the edge to, to, to Thiago. I do think there's room for Navi to make a point and make a case for himself. So those two are going to be very interesting to see. Um, now, if I'm going into the Chelsea matchup, um, it's interesting, right? I mean, in my opinion, I'm pay, I, I'm playing Tiago on the right, Henderson in the hole, and and Naby on the left in that matchup. I don't put Harvey in against Chelsea. I think we need more control in the midfield. Uh, Harvey Elliott obviously is a tremendous talent, and he created chances all game. Um, I just think first a stronger side. I want to see somebody with, with uh, a little more defensive capability um, in that midfield. I think I agree overall. I think 
maybe we have found a role because I almost feel like, you know, Keita kind of wears down in the second half anyway. So it is probably, it might be one of those, you know, standard substitutions we do, which I don't know where it would put Milner, but like where Milner normally would come in to give the midfield some extra energy and kick a couple of people around, uh, which mind you, these new rules are like Milner must be just like salivating, just like looking at uh, what he can get away with this season. But uh, I think like, it might be a good role for him in that sense. I agree with that. And cause I do, th- especially as the other team wears down in home games, he might be able to create more openings and stuff like that. I know he wasn't his best against Burnley, but speaking of being their best against Burnley, our Greek left back Kostas. I mean, I know he had a decent game last week, except like a couple of brain farts towards the end as he wore down. But I mean, great game this week. He had one of those moments that made Robertson one of the fan favorites when he wrestled in between three, four guys and came out of the ball and stuff. So I know there was a lot of talk this week, uh, over the weekend, I should say, about you know, who will face Chelsea. I personally think it's a no-brainer because I assume since he was on the bench, Robertson is almost there last week. Otherwise, he would not be sitting on the bench at all. Um, So, Paul, let's start with you. Is that even a conversation in your head or do you just put Robertson right back there? Uh, To me, just this chemistry alone with Mane kind of puts him above Costas automatically. Yeah, I mean, as good as Costas played, and he played out of his mind. I think you got to put Robbo back in if he's healthy. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've, I've written both FIFA and IFAB about the possibility of us having an ex- a rule exception this year for Liverpool that we can just sub in Costas on corner kicks. Um, but I haven't heard back yet. But I think that would be a, a nice strategy if we can work that out. So are we going to see the, are we going to go back to the short ones? Is that what you're saying? That's what we should be expecting next. The short corner kicks yes, again. Expect that. Oh God. I hate those. Uh, Matush, any thought in your head in terms of like sticking with Costas or is a no brainer to put Robo back in there? The, yeah. I mean, as, as good as he was filling, filling Robo's shoes, he's, he's not Andrew Robertson. He's not there yet. He's he might not ever be there. You know, we're, we're asking, asking this guy to be, arguably the best left back in the world. You know, it's just, it, it's too much to ask of him. The only thing that's keeping me back is, is how healthy is, is Robertson. You know, like we, when we were initially told after, after everything, after all the testing and, and the initial thought was six to eight weeks, right? I think that was like September almost or late, later September. And that to have him back the week after essentially two weeks after back on the bench it's like it almost reminds me of the Giannis situation you know when he came down on his knee and his knee completely inverted the wrong way and they're like yeah this guy's missing the rest of the year for sure and he comes back and he's just fine so it might be one of those situations where it just maybe it healed so well that it's totally fine if he's completely healthy it's a no-brainer to go with Robbo but if there's any sort of hesitation or any sort of inkling that there's still something going on there I don't think it's worth it to put him in I think if he was like I say, just seeing him on the bench kind of tells me that he was he could have even played there like against Burnley. We just didn't want to risk it. Uh, so another week of practice, I would think, unless something happens during the practices this week where, you know, he feels some pain or something like that, I would expect him to see against Chelsea. Uh, so before we get to the Chelsea lineup and predictions there, uh, let's kind of like take a general peek at the Premier League uh, what has been the most shocking thing to you so far? Something that you did not see coming, Paul? Oh, yikes. Um, <clears throat> something I didn't see coming. I mean, I don't know. Like, City dropping points early is pretty normal. The teams that have been bad we thought would be bad. Um, actually, today, Leicester getting walked 4-1. I think that was the final score. Could it be even worse? I, I did not see them coming out of the gates and get smoked. Although I will say, I believe West Ham was is an incredibly underrated team and was very, very good last year. Um, I thought they were one of the most consistent teams from start to finish last year. So I do expect West Ham to be battling for a European spot. But uh, same for Leicester. I thought they'd be there battling too, and I did not expect them to come out of the gates like that. Um, 
and they had a great off season too. They made some really, really good uh, pickups. So um, that was surprising, I guess, probably the most surprising result so far. How about you, Matush? Um, off that Lester point, I think that red card to Perez really, it shifted the game quite a bit. Um, before that, while they were down one nil, they still had a big chunk of the possession and they were, they looked decent going forward. It just, that red card just completely changed the entire um, course of that game. Uh, I think the biggest surprise, I think Tottenham stealing a win against City and, and not giving up a goal might be the biggest surprise so far because we didn't really know what to expect from Nuno coming in. And without Harry Kane, we kind of, I feel like most people have just written off Tottenham and be like, you know, no Kane, they kind of don't know where their heads are at, don't know what, what's going to be going on over there. So, you know, they, they might be able to battle for top six, whatever, yada, yada. And yeah, it's early days, so that win might not mean anything. But to keep City to no goals and be able to, to squeak one away against them in the opening um, of the season is, I think that was the biggest surprise to me. Otherwise, everything else, pretty normal. Um, I feel like I, I was saying that Arteta would be the first manager to be sacked um and seeing arsenal struggle is not a surprise um from that so yeah i think that covers that we probably shouldn't be surprised to see arsenal the way they are but i you know watching that chelsea game which i could only stand it till i think it was like 50 or 55th minute or something like that i i mean if we got out there we probably had just equal chance of like beating chelsea it felt like I could not believe how bad they are. I mean, you when Arteta first came in, I know like results were not there, but then it felt like they were kind of like, you know, going somewhere. You know, you were like, oh, they're moving in the right direction. This is happening and stuff. It almost looks like that team has no idea what they're doing. I mean, does that surprise you at all, Paul? I mean, like I say, and now they're yeah, playing. Yeah, it's surprising City. because I thought it does surprise me. I think we talked about this at the end of last year because I thought Arteta, like I, I – I fancy him a decent coach. I mean, so like it is surprising to me. I think there are fundamental problems in that dressing room, uh, but it's down to Arteta to sort it. And he's had plenty of time. I think if it's anyone not named Mikel Arteta, who's a club legend, they're probably fired already um, and sacked already. Uh, He just names a captain who's been vocal about wanting to leave the club. Like they spent 130 or 40 million pounds in the transfer window on basically B players. Like I, I don't – it's a team that has uh, no spine and lacks an identity. That Like there's no identity to how they play or, or what they look to do. Um, and that's got to be pretty troubling as an Arsenal fan, but wildly entertaining for the rest of the world. It is definitely entertaining. I was watching some Arsenal TV, which makes great TV uh, to watch after a loss. And, and you can – I mean, you know, that is not even as entertaining anymore – because it's almost like they've given up. Like they're basically right. worn out from complaining and stuff. They're like, Ugh, this is how it is. But yeah, I mean, I agree with the locker room things. I think they had to get rid of a lot of players. But I know, for example, I know from back home, like Fenerbahce is interested, which semi scares me, mind you, in a bunch of like Arsenal players, like Kolasinac uh, and stuff like that. And they're kind of like Arsenal is taking their sweet time trying to maximize what they can get for it, I assume, which can't be helping. And like you say, the whole captaincy thing is mind-blowing because all summer we heard about like different offers, the guy wanting out, fans hating him, him throwing the jersey, all kinds of crap. And then to make him a captain again, that just can't be the ideal way to clear the locker room. And yeah, that's probably the most surprising to me. Not that, you know, they're not great, but how bad they are. I just did not see it coming. And like I say, with them playing City this week, uh, I mean, load up. I know uh, Matos is a big fantasy football guy. I mean, just load up your team with freaking City players because that should be a massacre, I would think. Having seen that defense play against Chelsea like that. Uh, so what do you guys make of Chelsea this week as we head towards that game? First off, let me ask you guys this. It's very early in the season, and it's pro- obviously it's our toughest game so far. And then we head into the international break. So, Paul, how big of a game is this in your head? I mean, we win, lose, tie, whatever. How will that affect how you look at things? I don't think it's a massive game, but I do think it's a big game. 
I think it's a, I think it's a tone setter. I think it's the confidence builder for whoever wins it. Um, I'll be honest with you. Chelsea scares me more than city does this year. Um, I think that we match up better versus city in the way that we play and the personnel we have than we do Chelsea. Um, and I think Chelsea in a way is younger. Um, and I think they've got some more versatile options and some more unique options off the bench. City's certainly deeper. Um, but they, I just think Lukaku is a game changer for Chelsea. Um, you know, James, they, they're kind of a hybrid of like this, this old holdup play that United used to do very well in attacking fullback play that we sort of branded as our football, right? This heavy metal football with the wings going forward. There's sort of a hybrid of those two things. And now they've got, um, just a man mountain as a, as a center forward now. And they've got some really nice pieces around them. Um, and that was the thing last year, right? They spent like 350 million pounds and we're like, how are we going to fit all these players into the side? Some of them clicked, some of them didn't. And some of them are starting to roll further and get, and get a little bit more momentum now. But um, on the whole, I think it's a big, big test for us defensively. We've had clean sheets, but we haven't played teams that are very good offensively either. So this is going to be a big test for that back line. Um, it's probably, to me, it's probably going to come down to who wins um, who wins the flanks uh, in the matchups. So it'll be pretty interesting, that battle between James um, on the right there and Rabo down the left. I think that's going to be sort of a key uh, key thing to watch throughout, but it, I'm looking forward to it because it should be a really good game. Yeah, I think that's another reason to have Robo in there too, with his experience and you know, like defensively a lot better than Costas, I think, too, against James. And I agree, I personally think the same way because having won the Champions League, they will really want it's kind of reminds me of our season after the Champions League win where the one you really want is the Premier League. Uh, whereas I feel like with City, they always have one eye on the Champions League because that's one thing that they have not been able to get. Um, and I agree with the thing with Lukaku is I think if you can't defend them well, that shuts that whole system down. But at the same time, I can see a lot of games that maybe they tied last year and could never, like, you know, get that winning goal. I can see Lukaku getting a couple of those for him just by, if nothing, even if he doesn't score them, just with the attention he gets, uh, leaving other people open and stuff like that. But so, Matush, let us start with you. Your take on Chelsea and then start our starting 11 for me. Uh, who do you have starting? Starting 11, okay. Um, so, I think in going off of Paul's point, I, while I think it's a big game, I would agree it's not a massive game. We saw last year, you know, that you can make a big run towards the end of the season and, you know, go from eighth to third and be able to, to amass all those points in a short amount of time. So will this this one result make or break the entire season? No, but I think it's a good tone setter for the break, um, and I think it'll be it, it's going to be the biggest challenge of the year so far. Um, so I think going in, let's see, I'd probably start Adrian. You know, um, he's older; he's been around more. Uh, okay, so so Alison, I would go considering everything's fully good to go. Um, Rabo. Van Dyke, Matip, Trent. Let's go. Um, considering he's he's feeling better after the tragedy that he went through. Um, Fabinho in the hole, and then let's go. Kate on the left, Hendo on the right, and then I would go Mane, Bobby, Salah for this one. I think that is what I'm doing up top. I'm agreeing all the way 100% because I am picking Bobby just because of the pressing factor. But how about you, Bickler? I mean, I agree with that. I wasn't, I did was not, I was thinking we were not going to see Fabinho. So um, it, if we don't see Fabinho, you know, I'm, I've got Henderson in the hole and then Tiago on the right. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but other than that, yeah, I completely agree with that. I think Bobby's an important start in this, in this spot. Um, especially if we go down a goal, I think adding Joda in the mix is almost like in a, and almost like a, uh, 
like a four, two, three, one, I think would be a nice formation shift. If we get down a goal, I think that would be like the tactic to have. Um, but yeah, I agree. I agree hundred percent with that lineup. So now is the tough part. The score predictions. Bickler, we'll start with you on this one. Oh, I'll say we nick it 2-1. We don't keep the clean sheet. Mateusz. Uh, I said I was going to be the pessimist. Um, I was going to say I'm going to go 2-2. I'm, I'm going to go 2-2. Um, yeah, I, that's it's going to – I think it will be a draw. I think there will be a couple more goals than there should be um, defensively more than we would want to see. I think it'll be 2-2. Two, two. Damn, you are the pessimist. We got to have you more often so I look better. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say Chelsea was going to win until I just said that. So I <laughs> I'm the assistant to the regional pessimist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with 3-2. I think it will be a it will start uh, as a goal fest and get tighter as it goes, but I really think it's going to be it's not going to be a good game for my heart. Let's go with that. But this is probably a game. I understand. I mean, I agree that obviously, you know, you're not losing anything in week three, but at the same time, yeah, this will be a huge thing for us to win going into the international break in terms of morale and, you know, kind of like throwing out the we're back thing. And it also kind of like bump back Chelsea a little bit because I feel like they have good momentum going. So it would be kind of good to derail that. But they're on a big uh, high. And then we get the international break. Uh, what do you guys make of the, the Mo Salah thing? Do you guys think that will affect Mo or he's kind of like stick off going to the qualifiers anyway? Uh, with the news coming out that Liverpool is not going to let him travel because obviously Egypt is one of the countries in the list. Bickler, you think Mo is going to take that uh, well, or he's going to be like, sounds good to me. I didn't want to play Angola anyway. Well, my personal feelings, he's probably not too bothered by it, um, but it's hard to say. I also feel like they probably had a conversation about it with him. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I can't imagine he's too upset about it, but uh, it could be wrong. How about you, Matej? You think, I mean, I, it's kind of hard to tell because I think it's actually most situation. The fact that last time he went there, that he came back with, you know, he had COVID and stuff like that makes it even worse. It's not even like, oh, we're just rolling the dice. We don't want to roll the dice. It's like, we know what happened last time kind of thing. So uh, you think that affects the decision at all? I think it could. Um, I think, I think it's tough because some players value the country they play for a lot more than others. I think for someone like Mo, who is probably the one of the greatest, if not the greatest Egyptian player ever, especially for the time right now when, you know, when he can make so much, so much of a difference on that team, I'm sure he wants to be a part of that so he can make that difference. But at the same time, like Paul was saying, I don't think he's going to, it's not going to be the end of the world for him if he doesn't make it for that qualifier. I think, I think there's, there are bigger tournaments and bigger games that he'd rather miss out a league match for. Let's put it this way. He's not missing out on any weddings this time. <laughs> <laughs> Knucklehead. So last bit of news that came out uh, today earlier, I believe, was uh, Woodburn being loaned out to Hearts. Um, I did not – I thought – at one point, he he looked like, and that's why I'm always hesitant to get too excited about like young players. Because at one point, you know, we thought he was the. I remember that's when we were like the Coutinho wanted out with his poor back pains, and we were like, "Who needs Coutinho? We got Woodburn because he came in one game and like just played out of his mind and stuff." But uh, you guys shocked to see him loaned and not sold, Bickler? Do you think we still see some value on him, or is this <clears throat> kind of like another way of increasing his value further? No, I, I think. I so I'm not surprised. This is the short answer because he had an incredible preseason. They were raving about him. They were like they were considering keeping him with the first team had we not had so many people rostered already. Um, like Klopp was just absolutely like raving about him, um, which is interesting, you know, because I thought he was done when he went on on low to Oxford and essentially broke both feet in eight months. Um, like he's had crazy injury stuff happen. Um, so. To see him come back in that form is the most shocking part. I kind of thought 
he's just going to ride off in the sunset, you know, and just be go down the lower levels of, of uh, English football. But yeah, I, I love the loan move. I would love nothing for him to come back and just absolutely kill it. Um, we'll see what happens though. But I think it's a good, I think it's a good move if you're that happy with them to get him out on a loan move and, and, and continue to hang on to him and see what happens. I mean, he's still only 21. Right. Which is shocking. Yeah, people I mean, forget like his debut goal for us, I think he was like 16 or 17. He was super young. Any parting thoughts, Matush, apart from your pessimistic takes? <laughs> No, no, I don't think so. I think, um, I think what you mentioned earlier about it being a very tight race this year, I think, I think there's a, uh, even though I, I chose city to win the title, I think there is a decent argument to be made for each of city Liverpool United and Chelsea to challenge for the title realistically. Um, and so I think, especially if, if city drops some of those points that they probably shouldn't, um, you know, some of the other top four will as well, just like United did with South, with Southampton. Um, I think it'll create one of the closest races we've had in a while. Maybe Pep will give Arteta a couple of points so that he can keep his job, you know, the old assistant thing and everything. And that would really help the cause. But I really feel like that's going to be a massacre. Well, gentlemen, Paul, any parting thoughts from you? Any- I mean, I want to know how your brother feels about supporting a team that looks like world leaders one week and shit the next. Oh, trust me. I am. Uh, I was really enjoying uh, that. He, he is, <laughs> I hate to say it. He's smart enough not to be after the first week. Oh, this is our year and stuff like that. Cause he freaking knows better. He's kind of like more of the educated fan, educated, except the team he sports, I guess. But uh, yeah, he never gets too high until this late in the season and stuff. And I mean, knowing even we when we beat him last year in the shape that we were, he's kind of laying low till United goes on like a really long run. He he knows better. Gonna come out of his troll hole at some point. We'll see. (laughs) Let's hope he never comes out with Ole at the wheel. Uh, I don't know if he's ever gonna come out of there. Well, gentlemen, thank you for joining me, and thank you to all those who are listening. Uh, We'll see you guys next week, where we'll be a day from the end of the transfer market so we'll see if there's any activity there uh should kind of be like a crazy week throughout i think everybody has been waiting till the last minute it feels like thanks again for everybody and see you guys next week